Hey everybody, welcome to 2023, new year, new theme song, yeah yeah. Also, new special guest, spoiler alert, Tao Win makes me cry. You didn't see that coming, did you? It's an all new episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast. I just want to get right into this, this sort of corny, it's not corny, it, it's just a little dramatic. It's not though, I don't want to undercut what I want to say at, at this moment here in this first episode of the new year, 2023. It's something I felt last night and feels important to say now in a way that connects to you're going to die. So let's just get into it, Okay. If someone had told me in 2003 when my mother died, listen, trust me, what's going to happen is in about uh, 10 years or so, <laughs> you're going to start an event that will lead to a nonprofit organization that will lead to so many things, including a podcast where you'll get to get on that podcast and talk to a musician who creates some of your favorite music in the world. I would have laughed and completely not understood it and certainly wasn't ready to wrap my head and heart around the possibilities. But now I'm feeling that presence and I want to say it here in a way that I don't talk about a lot, but it is this. It is an acknowledgement for staying clear and true to what you love to do and what you care about more than anything. And I know you're out there like, here's someone else goes, like lucky you for like doing the thing you love, but it's taken a lot of years of other kinds of work to support me and my life and my family. And, and back then, when my mother died, I worked at a toy company uh, that I didn't care about, doing work I didn't care about for people that didn't seem to care about me. And I probably uh, didn't show much that I cared for them. So to be fair, and, and I will say that that job gave me the financial security to take care of myself in a way that I needed after my mother's death, like a security that I needed when everything felt out of control and was falling apart after that loss. And so I want to acknowledge that time was really important for me and having that job to support me in my life was important to pay for my bereavement and my therapy and my grief support and the resources. And because my mother died, I absolutely connect my quitting that job eventually and moving to San Francisco from LA and starting an event that would lead to this moment right here, right now. And so in a way, I want to say to all of you, the many years and decades really now, almost two of the hardship and the hard work, just trusting and being clear to really, unfortunately... <laughs> the chagrin of many people in my life, maybe even still, to keep doing it. And so then worth declaring, like, we're going to die someday, feeling like I'm getting to do something with my life that I care about deeply and giving myself a chance here at the beginning of the year to say so, to say that I'm proud of myself and that I think my mom would be proud of me um, or is proud of me. So this is my declaration coming into the new year with gratitude 
also to all of you, to all the people that have participated in You're Going to Die over the last 10 plus years, to the listeners here on the show, to this podcast, this Creatively Conscious Mortality podcast, for making the time in a way that you don't realize supports all the story I just shared and all my being in the world and our organization being in the world. So this is, this is it. That's it. That's what I want to say. Okay. Okay. That's enough. I also want to say uh, just a, another important big piece of news is that we are now committed in the new year to releasing episodes weekly. Da, 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 da. Um, I imagine some music coming in right there, like a, I don't know, fanfare or something. Nick, Nick Jana, producer, could you add in a little... <laughs> Uh, but that's big news, and we feel like we wouldn't be doing this new commitment of weekly episodes if we didn't have a sense that there is a listenership out there, a community who's really supporting us, but also listening and and making time for the podcast. And it feels like a commitment to all of you to do a weekly episode. So that's what we're starting. First week of the new year. Let's do it. Let's get these things out there. And and without further ado, I just want to get into sharing this conversation with this wonderful human being, musician, artist, griever, mortal, Tao Win. Tao Win is a veteran artist, songwriter, touring musician, and producer in the Bay Area. Her latest album, Tao and the Get Down Stay Downs Temple, was released in May of 2020 on Ribbon Music. And Tao is currently at work developing a theater project and writing for her next full-length album. What an honor to get to talk to Tao. And I don't know that there's much to kind of give you a heads up on for this episode. I will say that we talk about uh, a loss, uh, a death in her life. And the song at the end of the episode is, is it is the story of that loss. Um, it's almost like you get to hear her tell the story in our conversation and the song matches it but with the beauty of Tao's talent musically. So I hope you enjoy this new episode in this new year. Welcome. Happy New Year. So glad you're here. So glad you're alive. Listening now to the newest episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast with Tao Win. You know... I said yes more quickly to be on this show than I am to say yes to anything because of what <laughs> I, because of what it's about and what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think my initial reaction was that's so refreshing <laughs> mm, nice. and, yes. and you're going after, you know, as you were telling me about this work, it, it resonated a great deal with me because I think that certainly in the last five to seven years or maybe more, I, maybe even my entire career and every work I'm, I release, I'm getting closer to the, I, to what I believe the truth is <laughs> the, the truth of why mm -hmm. I'm doing this and what, what draws me to it and um, what compels me and what brings me to want to connect and and be in community and communion with people. And it is like this, mm -hmm. it is because it is the distillation and the purest form of life. And it helps to remember and be reminded um, of our essence and 
mm-hmm. our objectives and that we um, exist for each other, you know? Yeah. And when I'm at my best, when I'm the most connected to my work, it's because I remember that. And when I'm on stage and I'm fully there, it's because I remember that. And so mm-hmm. I immediately was drawn to anything that <laughs> that resonates, <laughs> that feels the same, you know? That I trusted. I've, I mean, I'm like so good to hear the like word by word version of it, but I, I'm not surprised at all. And and maybe there's like the intuition of how I've experienced you just in your music, but making no assumptions that that's like all the songs hold that. There's this feeling that I have in a yes that that it's going to be some kind of version of this, um, what you just shared. Um, it, it's a, a quote I feel like I, I sort of discovered or kind of put together from a lot of other teachings and experiences in in the you're going to die context. But I have this feeling that is is a version of what you just said, which is the meaning of life is each other. Like I don't really <laughs> understand any other meaning, mm-hmm. but that, you know, and so it feels moving. Um, and, and I'm not, I, I hope eventually I'm not crying my way through this whole interview, <laughs> but <laughs> we'd be fine if I did. Well, I'm going to um, join you. Like <laughs> okay. I said, a unified front. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, but just hearing your version of that and, and knowing like, calling something you're going to die. I think about it and get asked like, why name it that? Um, why would you, why would you, it's so confronting and, and maybe even like some people feel like it's dark. And I know that it meets some people in like really hard ways where it's like extra confronting. But I also know that part of the point that I maybe didn't even get when I first named it that, but really understand now, which is it is the very clear invitation, you know, like right away, are you someone who wants to be in this kind of conversation? You know, before you buy a ticket to our event or sign up for a workshop or say yes to a podcast interview, like, oh, okay, it's called You're Going to Die. All right. So mm-hmm. uh, I know where they're at. <laughs> totally. And you know, there's, there's, um, there's compassion in that direct of a communication. Mm. You know, it's like the removal of pretense and you're doing it. It's a courtesy. Mm. Um, and I, I don't take it as, you know, I mean, I, I, I know what you're saying. I, I totally understand that, but I appreciate just in a way the care that it extends, you Mm. know? So I'm wondering where this is going to be like a very general question, but it is a kind of what is, what is the personal nutshell version of the story that leads to you being in the world doing music and having the thoughtfulness you have like you described for those moments when you're on stage thinking like this is the point you know like Mm -hmm. this is why i'm here and i'm i'm most fully here because i'm clear i'm wondering about like losses you've endured or Mm -hmm. your own grief journey again i know that's a really big question but not knowing you it it, this opportunity feels like a chance to say like, well, why a song like nobody dies, mm-hmm. you know, um, <laughs> why is death in your music in the ways it is in some of your songs and albums? Mm-hmm. Um, but also, especially now, like after you just shared your understanding of why you do what you do, what's the, what's some of those important parts of the journey that led to that? Mm-hmm. I think I, uh, 
have been more uh have a have a i wouldn't say more casual but like an easier access to the idea of death because i was raised buddhist and every so many things that we do ceremonially annually are in you know to recognize and honor um and ritualize uh, you know death and mm-hmm. um that was one of the main things that we did every year you know there's a feast um and and buddha ceremony for um ancestors that have died and uh just um so at when i was growing up there was there was um it, I mean, and it feels like a celebration, you know, because it's very much um, mm. this event that is meant to invite the person back home. You're inviting their spirit mm-hmm. back home to 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 eat with you again, you know. Mm-hmm. And so everyone um, in my mom's lineage and my dad's who who had died, uh, you know, I guess going up to the great grand, uh, the great grandparents of my parents. So, so then mm-hmm. that, and then moving forward, um, everybody, everyone's days, uh, the day that they died was observed. Mm. Um, every, every day that they died through the year of your great, uh, your parents' great grandparents, you, you, you would have uh, an acknowledgement in your life of that death. Yes. On that at day. least, yeah, wow. at least, um, let me correct myself. My parents' grandparents. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's as far as I had known them to sort of keep track. And do you? Rem- this is like this kind of context of you getting raised was before memory, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like you were born into yeah, this context, totally. Yeah. And you're born into mm-hmm. a house that has an altar and photos of, mm-hmm. <laughs> of all who um, have moved on. And mm-hmm. um, so the idea of death, and then you know within the within the tradition and i i emphasize the point that i'm i was raised culturally buddhist as in i did everything i was told to do but no one necessarily explained anything to me <laughs> oh yeah okay <laughs> you know? that's a that's and a anything big deal, that right? i have acquired <laughs> important distinction <laughs> and anything i've acquired since i had to do it you know in my adulthood in english um, cuz the the vietnamese is such that you know, I'm conversationally fluent, but I don't have the facility with Vietnamese mm-hmm. that, that I, that I do with English. And, mm-hmm. um, can I stick with that for just a second? That moment that like, are you, th- you think some version of what you just said reminds me of someone saying I was raised this way, but I, I wasn't, it wasn't mine. And do you think there was a time when it sounds like you'd made it yours? Definitely. Yes. But there are, there are elements of it that were always mine in the, what I was looking for when I returned to it and in my Mm -hmm. mid twenties or so when I really Mm -hmm. needed it the most, those elements are utter solace, you know, just like an Mm. immersion in the sounds (laughs) of going to temple every week in the chants, uh, in the singing bowls, just being in the main temple room and um, you kneel, you're, you kneel and then you, you place your head to the ground um, three times and then four times. And those things were 
so beautifully serene, even as a child I knew. And it was, I, I grew up in a pretty turbulent house. So these moments were my only moments of, right. of calm and safe and mm-hmm. just safe, safe feeling mm-hmm. and harbor. And um, so when I studied it more in college, just casually on my own. And then as I moved, when I moved to San Francisco, there was a temple I would go to on 22nd and uh, mission. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the first time that I saw um, monks sort of process into the room and I saw their robes again and I heard their chanting again, I just, you know, it was, I just wept, yeah. but it was, yeah. it was like coming home. But it was also um, rediscovering, you know, it was like reestablishing connections and then establishing new ones. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't attend temple regularly. I, 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 I would more if I could, if I traveled less. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But whenever I get a chance and whenever I see a monk, (laughs) like in the airport or, (laughs) and the sidewalk, walking down, down the, down the street I I get a little weird you know because I love them so much and then I go up and I, <laughs> I do that there's do. a special bow you know you do the like you, yeah. you clasp your hands you bow you know I say mm. you know even though it's not I'm not sure what language but I know that they know and I'm like thank you what does you. that mean um it's mm. like the main prayer uh that I was raised with and it's mm-hmm. it's like a mixture of Sanskrit and um Vietnamese or actually maybe it's mm-hmm maybe there's no Vietnamese in it at all. Um, but for you kind of, there is just kind of having grown. That totally. Way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, but the, yeah, there is. So it's like sort of the Vietnamese slash Sanskrit version of mm. this um, prayer that is the most common. Um, and it's uh, basically rely on or like obey the continuous or limitless light of the Buddha. Mm-hmm. But that's the one that I was raised, you know, my grandmother is a, uh, was a really devout Buddhist and, and she came over from Vietnam when I was five years old and lived with us and lived with my mom until her death. And she would have these prayer beads and throughout the day, at all times, she would be just softly whispering, Namo Aina Fuck, Namo Aina Fuck, Namo Aina Fuck. And that's the thing that when... um when someone dies, you encircle them, you encircle their body and you just chant that over and over for as long as you need to until and it's to help guide their spirit. Um, the chanting accompanies the spirit's journey. Hmm. Um, and first you have to identify where the spirit will rest in that, in the bardo that those 40 days, 49 days, sorry, before it moves on. Um, I have lots of questions already, but I also am good to just keep letting you just describe this. Oh yeah. Well, you know, this, one of the reasons that I feel more closely, that I feel more close to the sacred, sacredness of death and mm-hmm. our interaction with it and the beauty of it 
and that is from that day that, you know, my grandmother was at this hospice center in Northern Virginia. So I grew up in Virginia and there's a song on Temple, the album Temple uh, called How Could I? And the song is about me rushing back and being too late um, mm. to see to see my grandmother. Um, mm. But it was a funny situation wherein she was, uh, she was living with my mom and she, it just was near the end and, and she fell and then they got her in the ICU. And so I flew back home because it seemed grave, but I wanted to stay. <laughs> she was in the ICU for a few days and then they were going to move her into this hospice center, but they were saying, you know, it'll be a couple weeks, you have some time. And I had this tour, I'd already canceled a leg of it to come back home. And um, I had these East Coast dates that I was going to cancel. But my mom and, you know, her sisters, I, th I think the part of the reason they really encouraged me to go, they wanted me to go so that they, it, it would sort of help bolster and support the belief that my grandmother did have more than a few days left, you know, that if mm -hmm. we could afford yeah. for me to go, mm -hmm. then that meant she had more That's time. Yeah. yeah. So in a way, and I knew I didn't want to, but you know, and then it was the idea of like lost work. Like, don't, you know, they're like, no, no, no. Everyone just downplays everything. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Just go play the shows and come back, you know? Right, right. right. And I remember I was on stage in Philadelphia. It was a solo run and I was up there by myself and it was the evening in Philadelphia. The next morning I was due to come back to Virginia and I've, I was on stage and I just looked at the crowd and I was like, Oh, what the fuck am I doing up here? Ooh. And, and then I played the show and I went back to the hotel and then in the morning at seven, my mom called and she said, your grandmother died at four, you know, mm. but can you make it to the hospice center before they take her body away? So then how could I is about, that moment and it's about racing back and at this point I've already mm. I'm too late for one thing but I'm trying to not be too late for the last thing you know yeah. and so my tour manager Phil at the time and he was amazing and he just rushed we just hauled ass from Philly to Virginia <clears throat> and he dropped me off at the hospice center and the staff there were remarkable and when as soon as I walked into her room, they had moved her into a room where more people could gather. And there were probably 14, 15 relatives and family friends all gathered around her bed, all chanting, Namo Aida Vak, Namo Aida Vak, Namo Aida Vak. And I just took the prayer beads off my neck and I, you know, to because every time you say it you move one bead and you keep track so then I just joined them in the circle and it was the most beautiful sound I've ever heard so beautiful that I couldn't record it because I didn't want to you know right. although I right, parts right, of me right, do right. regret not recording it I totally get you it know? I totally get that <laughs> mm -hmm. but it was remarkable and it the care and this is like people have flown in from Switzerland. It, it's 
this is another thing that I consider, you know, there's lines in it, in the song that are like, we, um, gosh, I can't even remember, but basically like, this is, we, we, you know, you're, you're celeb, you're celebrated upon the day you die, but what about the rest of it? You know, essentially that's what I'm asking, but that was, that's just, right. you know, one cynical moment that I had, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a question, <laughs> it's a question right? And, but that, you yeah. know, and, but it's the way it, it just was so, uh, gosh, it transformed. I've, I've always felt a kinship with people going through something, the biggest thing. I think my mm-hmm. difficulties in life have been connecting for smaller things or for more of the daily, <laughs> totally. you know? Oh gosh. I wish my <laughs> wife could hear you. She will. <laughs> But, oh, thank you for saying that. <laughs> and I, yeah. I'm like, when it comes to like the Excel spreadsheet right. or the job interview, I'm a fucking mess. But if you put me at a dying right. person's bedside, totally. I'm like, this is where I belong. For sure. You know? Yeah. And that, and then also like strangers grieving or experience something, mm, I'm way yeah. more comfortable than dealing with, than helping or, you know, I try to show up, but it's not the same. There's something, there's I like understand. a glitch. Th- that that comes from you know childhood I don't know it comes from a lot of things but they're one of the reasons that um, I think I want to connect w- with strangers and want want to <coughs> share that kind of space with them is um, it's it feels so easy and uncomplicated Mm-hmm. to be present and humane in these moments way less complicated than the rest of life for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I do. I really um, do. And, uh, but you know what I loved the, so the hospice center, they were so amazing and they, you know, part of the thing before they took, Uh, my grandmother's body away was we were going to there's this whole ritual around like you take the portrait of the person and um you lead their soul you so you take the portrait back to in this case to my mom's house which is where she had lived so like that's where her soul knew to go like it wouldn't go it wouldn't stay in this hospice center it wouldn't go somewhere else it would go back home and rest there before it moved on you know and so we have this portrait Mm -hmm. of her and my uncle who's her eldest son leads all of us out and it's like a really long line of people you know all of our family and friends and then all the the hospice staff lined on either side of the corridor um then things like that are remarkable to me you know and I don't know there's just something about that kind of grace and compassion and then you don't need to know anything about anyone you're just you're there and you honor them you know um and I'll forever be grateful to them and they make me want to get into that work you know
everybody. It's Ned. <laughs> uh, I didn't talk to you about you were supposed to say, and Nick, right away. We didn't plan that, you guys. Sorry. <laughs> Nick, Nick, Jaina. Well, I'm glad to have you in the episode a little earlier. I wanted to just just say, hey, thanks for what you do and for getting the podcast to a place where we felt confident that we needed to do it weekly and for your work on the theme song and all the artwork you do and and just really feeling so good about doing this new year of the podcast with you. Yeah, I think it's been, has it been two years that we've been doing this together? Probably not a full two, but a a year's worth of shows. Yeah. Yeah. Geez. I mean, working on two, if we're at like maybe over 50 that you've been involved in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just seemed like it was time to, to try to do this weekly and see what that's like for us and just make a renewed, uh, push to, introduce the podcast to people that maybe haven't checked it out before. And, um, we're working on some other things. Like I've been wanting to make a little guide to, uh, themes that are discussed in previous episodes. Um, you know, like this is a nonprofit and it's a service organization. And the podcast is a part of that, that I think is a great touchstone for people that maybe don't have you know, aren't located in the Bay Area, don't have a specific acute need, but um, could use some help on how do you deal with um, confusing grief? How do you deal with parents getting older and wanting to talk to them about a will? And um, throughout the the episodes that we've done, we've touched on a lot of those topics and we'll continue to do so. And so I'm excited to have it be more frequent and get some more of a framework for how to like direct people around to different episodes when they have uh, themes that they're looking to deal with. Yeah, that that feels good to say out loud and to let all of you know that we want to do this weekly and likely we'll just keep doing a lot of interviews and conversations, sharing those, but getting creative about what kind of content ends up coming up in, in all these weeks that we're committed to. So um, thanks for naming that. Nick, spontaneously, what do you feel most strongly about <laughs> encouraging the listeners to do this year, starting now, to support the podcast <clears throat> in the world? Well, just completely off the top of my head, crinkle, oh. crinkle. Uh-uh. <laughs> I feel strongly. We didn't talk about this, everybody. Now he's, he's reverse psychology, Nina's. Okay, go ahead. Crinkle, crinkle. Uh, I know the way that I find out about of a podcast episodes is somebody sending me uh, an episode, like texting mm-hmm. me something and not just anonymously or, you know, not without any other context, but saying like, I think you should listen to this because it's a great discussion about blank. You know, um, that's always how I get into something more so than like I read about it in a magazine spread or something, you know? So for us, that's the one thing that I just ask people to consider. Like if you've, enjoying this episode or another one, literally one text to a friend with a specific uh, explanation of, Hey, you love Tao. Like, you know, like, like, remember we went to that concert together. Like you Mm -hmm. should like, she really opens up here in a different way. And you know, Mm -hmm. that just means so much to uh, the people you send it to, of course, but then also to us, like trying to like build this podcast and make it bigger. Yeah. Great. Good one. Um, And I would just add, since thousands of you have been asking what to get Nick and I for our new year's gift. Um, 
just very full inbox with with requests for us to answer that question. Um, I'd say a version of the best gift would be what Nick just described. And if you haven't yet, unbelievably, if you haven't yet rated or reviewed the show, even if this is your first time listening, maybe you just hear our heart, you know, our tender-hearted authenticity. We could be worth uh, five stars or a few words of support in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to the podcast in. And take that 20 seconds to go into your app, click a star, leave a few words, and message a friend. Hey, have you checked this podcast out about grief, death, dying, mortality, Tao, win, all the things? Send the note. Spread the word. Thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate you. album from 2016 is called a man alive i have like a very Mm -hmm. estranged uh it's just entirely estranged but obviously very troublesome and troubling relationship with my dad you know and it's haunted me my whole life because there are just so many unanswered questions but one of the things you know it's called a man alive because i don't quite understand <laughs> that mm-hmm. he's alive and i am he's out there and yet you know what are the reasons that we cannot mm. and i know them you know there are many there are many i know and then many i don't cuz only he knows you know but mm-hmm. um the idea of i think that's what's so beautiful to me about being present for strangers is you know, it's available even when you can't be a part of your own family. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I always thought he was very um, accessible to strangers and very open-hearted. And I wonder, you know, mm-hmm. I I think about him in that way, like maybe he still is. Um and I want to grant him that mm. grace, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, going back to why music and why this kind of songwriting, why this kind of like connection seeking, it has a ton to do with um, my childhood and the things that I, just the, the, the deep, craving for communication and um and not and not being able to get it not knowing how to mm-hmm. and and um yeah so many things being outside of my control for so long i think yeah i i want to like 
I know I'm risking like insisting that we're the same person. <laughs> that's not, <laughs> it's not fair uh, to do. But I, but again, I'm just thinking of that time for me, and and no surprise, complicated relationship with my dad. However, you know, unique in its own mm-hmm. way. But but some of the stuff that I'm that's resonating, knowing I could say the same thing about him. You know, where where I, when I was a little boy, he would. This always is just a good example of it, but he would, you know, he would pick up hitchhikers during a time in the like 80s or so where you just started not doing that. And to be a dad with his kid in the car who picked up, I remember he picked up a a deaf man once who... um, I got, I had got booted into the, the bed of the truck and, and this guy was in the cab. But I remember at that young age, just it really striking me that my dad was that kind of uh, hearted, you right. know, you say hearted, like open might not be the word for it with, with him in those contexts, but like hearted, heartfelt, yeah. you know, and, and then to have the other side, which I think, and this is not going to be fair for, for him, but I think Cause I'm like, I'm not willing to accept this, even though I know I, there's something in there for me, but the idea that he couldn't really be that with me, let's say ju- there's plenty of people in his life, but let's just speak for, for me because it was too painful, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and I just wonder, like he said before, you know, like people will hurt you and to be the kind of person in the world who knows that so well that they don't give themselves to others, yeah. you know, yeah. because they know they're going to lose them or they're going to get hurt. Um, and, and so the part, my point here about being, it's unfair is I could say like, oh, for me, the reason why I'm not great with the, the grief and the hard parts of, of, of community and family and friends struggling is because it's just, I feel so much, I can't even handle mm-hmm. it. And the reality is part of me is like, it, it hurts too much. Mm-hmm. Like there is definitely part of me that's like a protection thing, yeah. you know, and I'm not projecting that on you. Totally. I mean to say like, this is my version of it, yeah. you know? Yeah. F- feel free. I gladly receive that projection. Okay. <laughs> it's like a bad signal. Green light. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I just, I, th- it's so interesting. The, the idea of vulnerability and how you can do it and why, in some case, why in some settings it's so easy and in others it's not. Mm-hmm. And I think I, yeah, I've been trying to protect myself my entire life mm-hmm. and I've succeeded to the point of failure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, I've been totally. so good at it that I've done just really <laughs> stupid <laughs> shit or just like really I've, it's you begin you if you do it too well and without enough self-examination and knowledge Mm -hmm. like you just implicate people in ways you shouldn't you know and like you make them suffer for your own lack of self-knowledge or your own Mm -hmm. this weird like fucking destructive mission to never feel anything you know Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I'm dealing with the effects of that right now and but the only place I've ever, you know, and, but I, I can tell how much I want to be vulnerable and how much I want to feel and transmit love because of the way I am on stage. If I didn't have that, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't yeah. be sure. I'd be like, yeah, something's wrong with me, but I don't even care. <laughs> you know, <laughs> now I'm like, I think something's wrong with me, but I'm trying to, I, I want to bridge the gap between what I can be 
on stage for strangers and how mm-hmm. I can be and what I take from them and what they take from me in this like really beautiful symbiotic way that's very feels pure and loving, you know. Mm-hmm. And I want to know how to do that in my normal life. Yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> we were meant to talk to each other today. There is there is that feeling, you know. I was I I, I mean there I talk about this a lot on the show, but this feeling, I don't know if you have this experience in your work, would you be like these stretches of work where you're like, oh my gosh, like that's the message and it runs through everything, mm-hmm. you know? And and I'm feeling that today because the version of it this morning, again, in that cancer patient context, you know, I swam this morning to work out. It's like 6.30. I go and I swim and people are getting in the pool and they're annoying and they're not doing the lane oh, swimming I right. Hate right. when and they <laughs> don't do it right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, that voice in me is just annoyed and angry. And I'm like, what is that voice? You know, I, and just having that moment of just stepping one step away from it, feeling mm-hmm. the annoyance, but but taking one step away from it and being like, where does that come from? How often do I sound that way to my kids? Mm-hmm. Definitely. How often do I talk to myself that right. way? Who did that first? Right. Right. You know, like, is that my mom or dad? You know, like, and then, but then that moment, that connects to what you just shared, which is this happened this morning where I was thinking of this cancer patient group I was going to facilitate a few hours later and the way I'm in that group, you know, and I thought, can you get, can you bring that in here? You know, Ned, like, could you just like be more patient and like open up and be generous, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and, (laughs) and I don't even need to know what those other swimmers are dealing with in their lives. Cause I know that's a version, right? It's like, we don't know what you've been through. And, and I've heard that and I, I certainly have tried to imagine like we don't know what everybody's living through, like be gentle and kind. But what I did like, and it, and it helped was just like, you know, you can be this person. Mm -hmm. So could you just bring it in a little bit into this lane, this pool lane? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a great point. Mm. Like, you know, you have Mm -hmm. demonstrated to yourself many times you can be this person. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And that it's not a performance. It's not like the fake version of you. And I don't have any sense that that's how you are as an artist or a musician, you know, and certainly, especially now. But um, that's part of the the hiccup for me is, is thinking like, I know it's not true, but there's times when you think like, is that like not real because it's public or on a stage? Because I also have that, right? These open mics that I described to you that we started, that I started back in 2009, you know, part of what happens there is that first invitation for people, me, kind of what I did with you, but like crying and opening up and displaying my vulnerability Mm -hmm. um, and inviting the community to like step through that doorway and deepen our togetherness and in that way. And, and knowing like it's not fake, mm-hmm. you know, but still wondering like, is, is the real me, the angry, annoyed, you know, upset, closed off version of me? Right. Um, I know that's not true. No, it's not true. Yeah, but it is, it is in really interesting and important <laughs> work to yeah. figure out why yes. or what is it that allows one or the other, you know? Um uh, sensing without you getting into detail what it was like growing up and, and your relationship to like the dark parts. Mm-hmm. Um, 
of, of being alive and the dark parts yourself. Um, but also the, the dark, the dark places in your life. Let's say your dad is an example. You know, one of the things you wanted to touch on when, when I asked you what you wanted to talk about was optimism Mm -hmm. and, um, that's the question, <laughs> like how, and you know, like kind of why, why optimism? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I could guess, you know, but I'm, I'm curious to, to hear you speak to that. Yeah. You know, it's, I think in recent years, it's been just, um, since my, I went to Vietnam with my mom for the first time in 2015. Um, and it was mm-hmm. part of a tour. It was part of the U S embassy sort of bringing me and my band there. Um, and it's the 20th anniversary of the commemoration of, so the nor- 20th anniversary of the normalization of relations between us and Vietnam. So, um, mm-hmm. there were some shows and, uh, anyway, I was trying to convince her to come back and it was really hard for her to, to want to, because she had left in such, you know, sorrowful, circumstances. Mm-hmm. But yeah. there's something about the way th- there is a narrative around being refugees in America and being, you know, fleeing war and all those things that are, it, it's so laden and it's so heavy and burdened with that kind of sorrow, rightfully so, you know, mm-hmm. but, and I always was preoccupied by that. But I think that is the narrative imbued upon the host country of these refugees. You know, it's because they're just people that some insane shit happened to and then they had to go. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. And there's just a joy and levity that I see in my family and my mom and her siblings and a real presence that Mm -hmm. I never could recognize before because I always was, I served as this sort of intermediary between my family and a more public space and audience. Mm -hmm. And I would, and as the intermediary, I tended to just spend more time on the tragedy of everything, you know, which Mm -hmm. there is, and I felt it, but it's not actually their essence. And that's what I've come to realize and learn and appreciate. And I wrote just very, uh, I guess last year, um, there's this literary magazine called the Georgia review that asked me to write about diaspora in the South, in the American South. And I grew up in Virginia and that's where all my family is. And, and I was recounting that, you know, I basically did these sort of phone interviews with my mom and I would bring up these memories that have been burned into my brain from when I was very young and like really traumatic things to me, they're traumatic. I mean, like my dad's like unconscious. He's like, he's in a stupor. He's on, you know, whatever. And it's terrifying. And then, but to my mom, it's kind of funny or she doesn't remember it at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I start, one of the things I start out with is I'm describing this and then and she says, how can you remember that? And then I say, how can I not remember that? <laughs> right, and then right. the idea of, curating memory to serve you Mm. is something that I am really, just the way she operates is just so striking because memory to, you know, (coughs) fundamentally it can be pretty inaccurate anyway. It's, you know, it's, 
at a certain yeah. point, what is it besides how we choose to interpret how something happened? Right. And how that's changes too over years and years Certainly. and years. But yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. so the optimism, I, it's just something that my mom inspired in me is like the optimism to decide to remember different things. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying it. And I feel like I'm done suffering in the ways that I have, especially with stuff with my childhood and with my dad and just how miserable and everything was. But at a certain point, you know, and I don't think that I, I think I've metabolized it to the point that I'm done. And now, you know, I'm not saying that I haven't, I didn't need to go through it. I think I did. I needed to, you know, I needed to write those songs. I needed to whatever, uh, Mm -hmm. all the, everything that I went through around it, you know, the darkness that I traveled through was necessary, but I, I just love the idea of getting to stop, choosing to stop when you feel like you're ready and not doing it any more than you need to. That's right. And knowing that there's people that live their whole lives who don't reach that point. But, but I, you know, feeling from, at least from my experience, especially connected to my mom and, and certainly my dad, there's the ongoing relationship, you know, with my mom, she's dead. But even that it's like, I I feel like I've proven, um, hopefully like as an offering to, to others that there, there's a possibility of being in relationships still yeah. so that there's things I know for sure were memories that fucked me right, up, right. you know, that were, that were really disturbing, uh, from her life mm-hmm. and, and, and from her death too. Yeah. Um, but that there was at least a, a inclination for me, I'll say what, however I was built or whatever, I just couldn't turn my turn away from to keep being with that stuff. And somehow eventually like be able to let, to do some version of letting it go or like you said, metabolizing it or integrating it in a way that is like what we do, right? You know, humans making meaning out of stuff. And, um, um, so I really, I really get that, you know, and also knowing that we can reach a point in our lives where we don't, we can, we can choose more often and especially led by other people in our lives, maybe sometimes like your mom for you to be like, well, that's a version of being in the world. She lived through all that stuff and probably like worse things, um, with your dad, say as, as a one, one example and, and look at her. I mean, it sounds like that's a version of what you're saying. It is. Yeah. 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 And it's, yeah, just to know that it's possible makes me optimistic Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. to see how they spend moment to moment. It, mm-hmm. it, um, it, it just makes me wonder in a good way, why don't I choose that more, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and laughter especially is always available, mm-hmm. <laughs> in, especially <laughs> when it's the worst time, you know, Yes, you, you just have to have the right company. I was racing to your bedside on with no delay How was I so far from you and why was I away? You know you'd always say to me You know I don't need a thing You know you'd always say to me You know I don't need a thing Singing to the strangers 
That was Tao and her song from Tao and the Get Down Stay Downs album, Temple. The song's called How Could I? It's a strings version, though, which I just really love. Uh, There's two versions, and it was kind of hard to choose, but the string version on that album really, really struck me right. So feel so good to share that. And I was listening to the song after talking to Tao a couple times, and then suddenly it dawned on me. She had said it was about the the time with her grandmother and missing the death of her grandmother. But if you listen to the lyrics, you can hear her talking about the chant that she speaks to the Buddhist, the the Buddhist chant container that was held for her grandma and is part of that tradition. So anyway, love that song. So happy to share it here. If you want to connect Tao uh, check all the links in the show notes, please. Thank you, Tao, so much. So grateful for you being here, sharing your story, doing your music in the world. Uh, what a good honor uh, to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Nick Jaina. Oh, hi. 
back again. Yeah. Let's try to keep this fresh. Like we didn't just record the mid show. Um, moment. <laughs> so it's been a few days, buddy. How are you? <laughs> Wait, why would it have been a few days? We're just, I'm just trying to make it seem like we just really break up the recording. So they're just these standalone occurrences of our friendship, our connectivity, our communication. Cutting. I know we just recorded the mid show moment, everybody. Cutting Reveal. all this out. <laughs> <laughs> Do not cut this out. I'm going to keep saying that repeatedly through the rest. So you can't just making noises. Anyway. All right. Nick Jane, how are you? <laughs> Good. I, I really liked the perspective that Tao was talking about of missing a living person, uh, her father who's still around and having that moment of wondering what is it, what are the obstacles between us meeting up? Like the, it's possible, but it's not happening. Right. Um, I found myself in that position probably more often than a literal death of people that I know. And, um, I don't know. It's just such a trip because they live so much in your memory and in the time and place of the past. And to think that you're just going about your day in 2023 and wow, that person is alive and Mm. doing something right now. Yeah. (laughs) And in some cases, like a text away on my phone and there's just something that makes that seem just impossible to Mm -hmm. do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I have versions of that in my life, one that's coming to mind in particular, but it always strikes me when someone shares, maybe let's just put it in the context of the open mics that we do, when someone gets up and talks about that kind of death and how that sometimes I remember people saying like, it's almost harder mm. than someone dying mm-hmm. because of what you just described, that kind of strange they're here still they're living they're connecting to others to someone but i don't get to or i don't want to all the ways that it's almost like its own unique significant kind of heartbreak and grief yeah and it's tied up with like what ifs and you know guilt or you know is there something that i could do to to me i always get stuck on like Mm, right what would be the perfect introduction you know the perfect text message that would like dissolve all of that Yes. And, you know, on a couple of occasions that has happened and it actually isn't about anything that's actually said mm. in the message, you know, um, if, if it's, if the person is open to it, if the time is right, just whatever, like you could text an emoji and maybe they would open up and it would be okay, you know, mm-hmm. and for, for, for people that when it's not right, um, there's probably nothing that you could say, you know? Yeah. As a writer, I always like to think maybe there's a way to craft something that would like make it more possible. Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of times it's just, um, out of your hands, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I would agree with that, at least from my one specific example, just a, just one of my best friends in my life, um, having that, like severed that connection, that relationship for a long time now. And it still breaks my heart, but also there's been times when, like you described, what's the best strong, uh, open-hearted, uh, even risky move to try to mend it. And knowing because of the result of that kind of choice, hopefully not from desperation, you know, or, or forcing a connection that really isn't there anymore, but maybe from a, a generous place, finding that the connection is still not possible. And I'm feeling now, and especially in the last 
couple years for this particular relationship, a, w- a way that I've <clears throat> been able to integrate it, I guess, as my own kind of death. I, I don't know what quote it was. I don't know where I read it. I don't know who said it, but it was something like we, I think we're hung up on an idea as loyal as we want to be to people in our lifetimes, that there's also maybe something possible in letting something die yeah. and, and, and feeling like I'm at a place with that particular relationship where it's a part of a part of me that dies maybe healthily with that relationship and, and knowing I can really get to that when I think there are ways that I was responsible for that relationship breaking apart and knowing that I can own that and leave it with that death as its own that I can take responsibility for and, and really like maybe free myself into the rest of my life, not, and let go of what I think I really grew up out of a family who felt unstable and like the, my fear of abandonment, you know, I think I was fixated on that. Just this idea that people can leave you suddenly and, um, you have no control over them doing that. Sometimes I felt like I grew up in, in a, in a way that, that reinforced that experience. And so then I think because you get afraid of it, you create it in some ways in your life and being at a point at least now where I can see some of that, those pieces clearly in relationship to this particular like friendship and, and really say, okay, yeah, that's how it used to be. And in a way I created it, you know, being afraid of it made it happen. And now I'm at another stage of my life, like a rebirth. uh, And it's okay, you know, um, to let go of that, that friendship and be, be loose about how we hold things like that and somehow learn for new stages of our life, ways of being in new relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry you had that situation. I had a similar one too. actually somebody who first, the friend who first suggested my name change, you know, I I remember. Um, and it was really painful and that's a great way to, to frame it is just like, yeah, maybe you had the things, the, the connections that you needed to have and like holding on past that is just kind of hurting things more than mm-hmm. helping, you know? Yeah. Um, cause I, I, I have similar issues as you just stated and always feel like, couldn't it just, if you had a connection once, like, couldn't it just always be possible again? Like, can it always retain that, you know? Yeah. Right. And anything less than that feels sad because it's just, regressed, you know, like you've gone backwards, but that's the nature of everything. You know, Mm -hmm. I used to be traveling a lot and and going to different communities. And I realized it gave me this feeling that I could always like drive to a place and, and find vibrancy again and find like connection. Yeah. And there's this acceptance and like, there's some place, (laughs) it sounds cheesy, but like there's some places you can't drive to, you know, Mm. like you can't drive back to like 1998 and that, that time that you were close to with that friend, you know? Yeah. And like, it's just a hard, it's just a humbling thing for your ego to accept. Like I can't just make everything return again. Mm. Yeah. And I'm like risk cause I'm feeling, I didn't expect to talk about my friendship. And so I'm, 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 I'm feeling like grateful to kind of name it and in, in the way that it connects to this sort of death and attachment and, and also these wounds we, we have in us from our childhood on. Um, but this idea really wanting to say out loud again, the room that's made in letting go 
uh, the new relationships, the new yeah. place to drive to, um, or like even that there's a way I'm in relationship with that person still and it's healthy, <laughs> you know, mm. like mm-hmm. couldn't that be part of it? It's mm-hmm. similar to, to my mom, you know, like yeah. there's a way we're in relationship healthier than ever before. And partly that might be due because due to the fact that she, you know, she died and, and somehow after all these years, 20 years almost, it's made room for us to have a new kind of relationship, you know? So I also want to say, Nick and I are not projecting all this stuff on Tao's relationship. <laughs> it just clearly, this is what it brought up for us. Not, yeah. This isn't a commentary on what Tao experienced, but yeah. um, felt good to, to dig into that. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to Tao. Win. check out Tao's music and Tao and the Get Down Stay Down with all the links in the show notes. You can also go in there and connect up to our organization, our nonprofit, the programming, the projects, the events that we're up to. We're doing stuff online regularly. We just started our new year commitment to holding a grief space every Wednesday from 5 to 6 Pacific PM, 5 to 6 PM. PM Pacific. And we want to do that every week on Wednesday. So just, just to use that as an example of we're up to a lot. We hope you can connect in all the ways just that you're listening means you're part of our community. We're so, so grateful for you. Can't wait for a full year of episodes coming your way. Thanks again, Nick, for getting us here. Thank you all for listening and getting us here in your ear until next time, everybody. Bye-bye. 